been hugely encouraging to me just to have a, a lovely, clear focus on the cross from Christopher Ashe's Bible reading yesterday. I think it's been really good for me, uh, just meeting with like-minded people who've got a passion for the gospel and a passion for our nation. I found it very moving seeing what God has been doing in this last year, hearing yeah. stories of people in strange places, um, taking on new churches, uh, revitalising old churches. That was uh, a real joy. Hello and welcome to this week's Church Society podcast. I'm Ros Clark, I'm the Associate Director of Church Society and I'm your host here on these podcasts. Thanks to Simon Scott, Sean Morris and Robin Weeks who among with several others were pounced on by me at the Renew conference last week to tell us what they make of that conference and why it's such a significant time. We'll be hearing more reports in a moment. Renew is hosted jointly by Church Society, Reform and AMIE. And there are, of course, differences between those groups and others uh, represented at the conference from different contexts as well. But what came across to me very strongly, being there for the first time, and I think to many others, judging by the comments that I got, was the strong sense of unity between us all, a unity founded in the gospel, based on the Lord Jesus Christ, whom we all worship and serve. A partnership that says, okay, we might be doing different things. We might have slightly different strategies, but we know that we are brothers and sisters in Christ, working together to see his name proclaimed and glorified in our nation. I came away hugely encouraged, and I know many others did as well. I think one big highlight for me is, is been seeing uh, other people across the country doing the same sort of thing. Uh, sometimes it can feel quite isolating to be doing a turnaround ministry and you're struggling away alone. But to see, I don't know how many there were, 20, 30 other stories of people doing the same things has really encouraged me and spurred me on to keep going. I think it's fantastic to have church leaders together as well as other people wanting to reach the, the country together. And we're coming from different places in, in terms of, uh, you know, we, we had a great session yesterday uh, with three different people from, from some quite... Uh, uh, yeah. exemplary places so there was you know somebody in a, in a diocese that seems to be quite open to evangelicals and, and another diocese that seems to be quite closed and then somebody else uh, with Amy doing a, a church planting thing and it was great for them to, to come to us with their commonalities in terms of why they're Anglicans why they believe in mission uh, but also to voice some of the differences because I, I think that needs to be addressed in a room like this and I thought it was addressed really sensitively and helpfully and uh, yeah, we need to love one another and realize that we really are shoulder to shoulder uh, facing the nation rather than uh, facing one another and d disputing over, over little matters. Glenn Scrivener there and before him, Richard Burbage. The conference included a very helpful mixture of Bible readings, really wonderful Bible readings from Christopher Ashe and Paul Williams. Christopher Ashe also gave a session on the atonement, which Simon Scott referred to earlier. So helpful just to be reminded uh, of the central truth that we hold to in the gospel. But there were also other practical sessions. The one that Glenn referred to just now was a, a helpful uh, presentation. We had a paper in advance to read and a presentation then 
from men ministering uh, in three different contexts, uh, an AMIE minister, a Church of England minister, in a, a diocese that is broadly helpful towards evangelical ministry and one in a diocese that traditionally hasn't been quite so friendly. And there are different approaches to those situations, but also the way in which they clearly articulated their uh, many, many agreements and their sense of unity was so helpful. That and, and one or two other sessions included chance for questions um, and some helpful discussions uh, followed from those. One of the things I particularly appreciated was having a good chance to spend time in our regional partnerships. I live in Litchfield Diocese and we have a very active Renew group here. In the last year or two, we've put on a number of events, most recently uh, a day for teenagers with all kinds of uh, fun activities, choice of seminars and a couple of sessions. We had over 100 teenagers come to that, uh, which was such an encouragement. We've also hosted a day with Rod Thomas for PCCs to come and think about what it means to be involved in church leadership. We've run uh, a couple of quiet days at the Diocesan Retreat House. For the last couple of years, we've invited Jonathan Lamb to come and speak at those. And uh, I think we've had probably 10 times the normal average attendance on a Diocesan Quiet Day for those retreats. So it's just been really encouraging to be part of a group that is so keen to, to take positive action. We've also, um, as a group, discussed responses to various uh, more concerning things in the diocese. Um, but it it feels like uh, our little group embodies something of the same spirit of the Renew Conference as a whole, which is to say a positive statement of what we as evangelical Anglicans are bringing to the table, rather than, as William Taylor memorably kept referring it to, constant belly aching about all the things that could, could be put wrong. Part of that, as, as a couple of people have said, uh, was shown to us just in the numerous uh, video clips from around the country showing how God is at work in all kinds of different situations, really moving, as Robin said uh, earlier, really moving to see men sacrificially uh, working in difficult places for the gospel and seeing how God is being faithful to those so it was a wonderful time to spend time together, to be taught from God's word, to think uh, strategically a little bit about what we might be doing. And it was wonderful to be reminded of our saviour. And I'm just going to play you a little clip from one of the songs that we sang together, embodying the spirit of Renew How that may have sounded, I wasn't the only woman at the conference. I took time to chat to Carrie Sandham a little bit about her involvement, but before that, I asked Kerry Gatiss whether she would recommend other clergy spouses to be there. Definitely see what your husbands are up to and up against, um, support them, um, yeah, and to come and be with me. The queues for the ladies' toilet is very short. It's really good to see you here. You've been involved in Renew since it started, I guess? I have, yes. Can you tell us why you think Renew is an important conference? 
Well, um, we live in challenging days, don't we? The Church of England seems to be moving further and further away from what we would see as orthodox Christianity. Um, so first and foremost, it's an encouraging conference to meet up with like-minded people who are plodding away at preaching the gospel and discipling Christians. So I always find it enormously encouraging to hear what's going on elsewhere. But I think it is important that we network together. Um, we are in different dioceses and have different challenges and we can actually learn from people who are facing similar challenges in their own dioceses. Um, a lot of people say to me, why doesn't Renew ever do anything? Uh, we can't do anything um, as, as one unit because our diocesan situations are so different. But this conference uh, I find really encouraging in, uh, in enabling me to go back to where I am in Tunbridge Wells to carry on doing yeah. what I'm doing. I've uh, been really encouraged by our local Renew group in Litchfield yeah. Diocese and I think there's a lot of things happening at that sort of local level. Carrie, just while you're here, tell us, you now have a sort of a roving ministry, don't you, as well as being based in Tunbridge Wells. Can you just say a little bit about what that is and, and how that works? Yes, I do spend most of my time at St John's, uh, but two days a week uh, I work for the Proclamation Trust and have a kind of roving brief to um, encourage churches to think through what complementarian ministry looks like on the ground. So that involves uh, various things. I'm actually helping to train some of the women at Cornhill some of the time um, who are looking at ministry issues in, in the yeah. longer term. Um, also regionally, helping churches to think through the appointments um, to their staff teams maybe of, of women's workers whether full-time or part-time and also encouraging people to affirm women's ministry even if they haven't got the resources yeah. to appoint um, a full-time worker and on a national level there are various conferences sure. that I'm encouraging people to be involved in as well. Church Society are delighted to be able to contribute towards the cost of Carrie's wider ministry. We think it's so important for complementarian churches to be taking an active role in promoting women's ministry. Uh, and we uh, warmly encourage you, if uh, you're a church leader and you're not sure how to do that, uh, do get in touch with Carrie and I'm sure she would be uh, delighted to help you work through what you could do uh, in a positive way in your situation. We've heard a lot uh, about the way uh, in which the Renew Conference has been an encouragement uh, and we've talked a bit about how it embodies um unity gospel unity but nonetheless the distinctives uh, between the different groups who host the conference and our strategies towards ministry at jake recently lee gatis uh, gave a talk on 2 timothy 3 outlining a particular kind of strategy towards gospel ministry judging the times that we live in avoiding charlatans in the church being willing to endure suffering and continue with Bible teaching. Uh, those of you who are uh, really paying attention while you're listening to uh, this podcast will have spotted the acronym in the points of Lee's talk, judge, avoid, endure, and continue. I'm not going to uh, include the whole talk in the podcast, but I wanted to include just a little excerpt of it because it relates to a lot of what we were thinking about at the Renew Conference, avoiding charlatans, what that means and what that might look like in practice. So my second point is that if we are going to reform and renew the church in these last days for the glory of God and the good of England, we must avoid charlatans in the church. Avoid charlatans in the church. Who's he warning about? 
2 Timothy 3 begins with what sounds like a general condemnation of people, doesn't it? People in the last days. People will be lovers of self, lovers of money, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And then verse 5 he says, avoid such people. I thought at first that this was a list of qualities describing secular and worldly people. The sins of unbelievers with misdirected loves. It's easy to see that, isn't it? You can see our world in verses 2 to 5, can't you? People fitting these descriptions appear on our TVs every night of the week, on the news. Arrogant, abusive, heartless, slanderous, brutal. Just scroll through Twitter for a bit. Read the newspapers. That is the way it is, this side of the fall. It is because we are all like that that Christ had to die. But you know, I'm not sure that he's critiquing the world as such here and telling us to avoid the world. I think he is actually talking with prophetic insight about the heretics that Timothy was dealing with in Ephesus. That is, the people who claimed to be true spiritual leaders, leading leaders, but were not. Paul wrote to the Corinthians as well about those people. Do you remember the Corinthian church? He told them in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate, to avoid not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the sexually immoral of the world or the greedy and the swindlers and the idolaters, idolaters, since then you'd need to go out of the world. But now I am writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed, or is an idolater, reviler, drunkard, or swindler, not even to eat with such a one. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Here is one of the most ignored and neglected verses in the whole of the Bible. Paul says, Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among you. So he's saying, you see, the the Corinthians can't avoid immoral people in the world without going out of the world, which I assume he was thinking of as an impossibility, unless aliens had landed and drawn the Nazca lines and taken some people up to... Anyway, no. Um, He's not saying, therefore, that we should avoid those people, as in don't talk to non-Christians. Stay in your little ghetto. What he meant was... Don't associate with people who live worldly lives, but who claim at the same time to be Christians. Those are the ones to avoid because they are inauthentic pretenders, fraudsters who give a false impression about the gospel of repentance and faith and fail to inculcate the holiness of Christ. Our associations matter. Our associations matter. We've already seen that in 
2 Timothy, so just come back to there again. We've seen that in 2 Timothy already, if you, you know the letter. Paul mentions those who have declined to associate with him in his hour of need. And he has praised those who have chosen to stand by him. The whole letter is a call to loyalty. And he says to Timothy that he needs to avoid certain entangling associations with particular people. And it becomes quickly apparent, I think, that he has his eye on certain spiritual leaders who creep insidiously into the homes of the vulnerable. These charlatans seek to capture their unguarded prey for never-ending programmes of false teaching and pastorally cruel deception. Their agenda, you notice, is centred on people's longings. Just look at chapter 3, verse 6. Those who are burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, what do they do? Well, chapter 4, verse 3. They accumulate teachers to suit those desires. They wander away from the truth into mythical superstition and potted this worldly wisdom which allows them to satisfy their cravings. Counterfeit religion always tries to help people fulfil their desires and avoid any tensions or sufferings in the here and now. And yet it gives its devotees chewing gum for food. So that they are always learning, probably being charged handsomely to do so, but never able to swallow a knowledge of the truth. You know, we were designed, somebody once told me, to, um, to open our minds for the same reason we open our mouths. To close them again on something solid. But not with these people, no. Keeping the conversation going, always stimulating but never satisfying, that is the hallmark of those who intrude themselves like cuckoos into the household of God. Avoid such charlatans, Timothy. Verse 8. They oppose the truth, they have corrupted minds, they are disqualified regarding the faith. Hard words. Now, this could be tricky, couldn't it? Because in the previous chapter, Paul had a more redemptive approach. Um, Timothy was told in chapter 2 not to be quarrelsome, but correct his opponents with gentleness, teaching, and praying for them. And I've stood here and preached that very passage um, at a previous Jake. Let's gently instruct those who oppose us. But I think the people here in chapter 3, they're a different bunch. They are the more hardened ringleaders. The hardcore leading spokespeople who can no longer be reached. Who have set themselves implacably to oppose true ministry and true ministers. And resolutely act in ways indistinguishable from the worldliness in verses 2, 3, 4 and 5. So you're going to ask me, how do we tell the difference between the charlatans we avoid and the opponents we correct with gentleness? It may be a wisdom call in some cases as to where somebody is 
But I think in general, it is getting clearer and clearer, isn't it? In our context, there is a stubbornness, an incorrigibility, an unteachableness about the heretics we're to avoid. That's how you spot them. Now, how do you think we're going to apply all this? What do you think? <laughs> I think it means we must not be naive, brothers and sisters. We must not be naive. While we want to have a positive approach to the Church of England today, to engage wherever we can and be positively optimistic in accordance with the gospel, there are going to be people that we have to avoid. As I say, actually, at the, the end of uh, our new book, Be Faithful, as I say, near the end of this book, um, let me read it. There may be times when, if we are to be faithful to the Lord Jesus, we will be forced to defend the truth of God's word in public, even when it is uncomfortably countercultural. We will need to disassociate ourselves from false teaching and those who propagate it, however painful that may be particularly today from those who would deceive us on issues of sexual conduct by trying to recalibrate our morality. Paul says in Ephesians 5, doesn't he? Do not be deceived by those people who tell you that the wrath of God is not coming on those who disobey. We instead must disobey any orders given to us um, which contradict Christ's or bless what Christ has not. We must enforce godly discipline, driving out those who are recalcitrantly immoral and leading other people astray. That's based on the 1 Corinthians 5 passage that I read just now. We must peacefully disrupt and financially degrade the capabilities of those who scandalise the church and seek to undermine its foundations from within. And we must in every way deny the deadly doctrine underpinning such attempts to turn the grace of God into a license for immorality. Avoid charlatans in the church. At Church Society, we remain committed to supporting and strengthening evangelical ministry within the Church of England. But as Lee says, there will always be charlatans within that church, and we will need to think carefully about how we avoid such people, how we dissociate ourselves from their ministry whether there are ways in which we need to disobey or disrupt the structures of the Church of England. One thing that was very clear at Renew was that there can't be a one-size-fits-all approach to this. Different dioceses are very different. Different people will have different lines in the sand uh, that they are unable to cross uh, as a matter of conscience. It's very helpful for us to meet in those regional groups and consider the particulars of the issues that we face in individual dioceses, uh, dealing with bishops uh, and diocesan staff who may support or oppose gospel ministry in many different ways. You can listen to the rest of Lee's talk on the Church Society website and in our shop there you'll also find Be Faithful, the book that Lee referred to, which contains essays uh, by Lee, by Mark Pickles and also by Mike Ovi. Thank you so much for listening once again to this podcast. If you've enjoyed it, do consider subscribing. You can do that via iTunes or if you are on an Android device, you'll need a podcast app and then you can subscribe via our RSS feed on the website. 
Just a reminder that in a couple of weeks' time, Amanda, Robbie and I will be discussing Tish Harrison Warren's book, Liturgy of the Ordinary, on the podcast. If you have any questions or thoughts that you'd like to consider, please do get them to us by Friday the 29th of September so that we're able to talk about those when we record the next episode. If you have any feedback on this episode, we'd love to hear your thoughts. You can tweet us at Church Society. You can comment on our Facebook page or you can always email me, ros at churchsociety.org. So thanks once again for listening and do tune in again next week. <laughs>